0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, just one quick housekeeping thing before we dive into our message this morning. Uh, we have the Omega Hour after our worship service. It's about 20, 30 minutes afterwards, so you can grab coffee and snackies or whatever you'd like. There's probably gonna be pictures, baptism pictures and stuff going on. Um, we're, we can come back in here if you would like. It's not exactly a Bible study, um, it's more of a, a conversation, more of a, uh, a topic that we pick week to week. It's a weird couple of weeks. We didn't have it last week because of the groundbreaking right after church. We're not going to have it next week because it's Easter. we got two services. So <clears throat> in order to, to not be too weird and skip a, another week and, and get out of the habit of it, today it's just going to be a, a conversation Dan and I and whoever would like to stay asking whatever questions you want maybe it's about worship um, particular beliefs of, of Lutheran's versus the you know other denominations or just whatever's on your mind something you've always wanted to ask a pastor um, is essentially what it is and uh, between the two of us we should probably know the answers it, it seems like <laughs> it seems like and I, I imagine there could be questions about you know what is heaven like uh, what happens after we die Um, all, all sorts of different things. So please, by all by all means, join us for that if you would like to. You don't have to, but grab some coffee, come on in. They're always pretty fun. It is Palm Sunday. And I know it seems strange to have uh, for our text this morning, Revelation, when it's Palm Sunday, but I've got a, a Palm Sunday text in here as well, and there's actually a really nice correlation between Jesus coming triumphantly into Jerusalem on Sunday, um, being surrounded by his enemies, to how he defeats those enemies once we get to Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and then Easter. So this is really sort of seen as one continuous worship service um, week, right? It's, it's holy week. In fact, on Thursday, we don't even close with a benediction because we start the worship service Thursday and it goes right through until Easter morning. That's kind of how we see those, those days in, in there. So today is Palm Sunday. I promise you there's plenty of Palm Sunday stuff to be had But this is from Revelation chapter 20. Where we are in all of this is all of the main visions of what's going to be happening on earth from Jesus' ascension till his return. Those are finished, and now we're getting these snippets of different visions that happen that kind of give us some detail and insight. Today is the defeat of Satan. So this is Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 7. And when the thousand years are ended... Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the first thing I think is important to note about the scene that is this Palm Sunday event is it may not look like it, but there was a great number of people and forces that were gathered for war. So if you're taking notes, following along, first one is gathered for war. The, the people in Jerusalem, and really all of Israel, had been longing and waiting for a king to come in and to, to take up arms, essentially, against all of the gathered forces around them, primarily the Romans. If you're unfamiliar with the things uh, at the time, how things were going at the time, Romans had pretty much conquered everybody, and they sort of were living in and amongst the people that they had conquered. They were sort of a, uh, an invading force that had taken up residency. So they allowed the Israelites and the Jewish people to practice their religion to an extent, right? And they allowed them to go about life to an extent, but they always had sort of over their head this idea that there is a, an occupying force living amongst them. And this had been the case for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is, this is their reality for a long time. But there were some other people who saw some other enemies. There were the, the people, just the, the regular people, not the social elites, not the religious elites who are oftentimes the same people, The regular folks who saw what the religious people were putting upon others in terms of these are all of the rules and rituals and regulations of the temple. This is what you must do as an Israelite for God to please him. These are all of the things that you must accomplish on a day-to-day basis. All of this religious oppression was upon the people as well. So the, the regular folk who were the ones who were out there waving those, those palm branches saying, Hosanna, they saw this slightly less violent and oppressive people as an enemy. And maybe there were other enemies. Maybe there were those, those more common enemies, that, that overbearing boss, right? Or, or maybe it was a downturned economy, uh, inflation, the housing market, the all of those things that we find that today. <laughs> the idea of Palm Sunday is really this spiritual moment, where God rides into a situation where there is opposing forces surrounding His people. And it was true 2,000 years ago when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, As, as we are celebrating and remembering today. As he rode into Jerusalem, there were those real enemies all around. And today, the people of God have enemies surrounding us. But here's the thing Jesus doesn't overthrow the Romans. Jesus doesn't start a revolt where he gathers a bunch of people around him and, and tells them, at, at dawn, we're going to strike. He doesn't, he, he doesn't go into the temples. Yes, he turns tables and, and starts a commotion, but he doesn't cause a riot that, that throws out the religious leaders. Jesus doesn't do all of those things that we would expect from a, a real hero in a movie, to vanquish those opposing foes that are around. Jesus does something very different. As he comes into our life, as, as we see him enter into our day-to-day existence in life, We don't necessarily see him turn the hearts of those overbearing bosses or change the heart and mind of those people who seem to be our enemies or suddenly make life so much easier for us. That's not what Jesus does when he comes in as the hero of the story. He's not the the classic hero. He is an unlikely hero second point in the sermon. He's an unlikely hero, but even this sort of has these echoes of familiarity, right? An unlikely hero motif is easily found in Hollywood movies. The the weakling, the the least likely, I'm I'm thinking of the the Peter Parker Spider-Mans of the movies, or the Harry Potters of the movies and books. Those unlikely heroes that we're accustomed to hearing about where they're put into a situation and maybe it even looks like they are utterly defeated. Even the very strong, right? Even the the stronger, the Rockies in Rocky IV when he's defeated and at a low point, you know they're going to make this comeback and vanquish that foe in a very real and literal way. And we all get to cheer for the happy ending, It's a common motif found, not just in the characters and the the story arcs of movies, it's found in cultures all over the world. And it's a very human idea, but it isn't a very divine and godly motif and idea. So we have this idea of glory that is through troubles and trials we are strengthened and when we look like we're defeated, we actually at the end turn around and, and have this incredible moment. We flip the script and then we are victorious and glorious and we put our enemies at our feet and we win. But that's human glory. That's not the glory of God. God. Jesus glorifies God. Jesus is glorified as God because he is obedient. Even in his death and defeat, he is obedient to the cross. Through the scorn and the beatings and all of these, he lets down an entire people. Not just the city, but all of the Israelites who thought surely this would be the time that that we would be victorious and kick out the Romans and, and have a religious revival and all of these things. Life would be so much better because our Messiah is here. He disappoints all of them because he's not dealing with the physical enemies of the world. That's not his calling, it's not his mission. Frankly, it's not what God is most concerned with. What he is most concerned with, of course, are those spiritual things. I did promise you we'd have some Hosanna texts. So this is from John 12, 12 to 15. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. See, they're expecting this king because it has been prophesied a long time before, that the Messiah would do exactly what Jesus is doing, riding in, but not on a war horse, on a peaceful donkey. And he would be their king, and and they had these expectations of a king, but it wasn't to be a kingdom of this world, as he tells Pilate, as we'll hear as our week progresses. It's not a kingdom of this world, because this world is flawed and broken and sinful, and you don't have to look far to see it. You don't have to look far to see how this world could not function the way God designed. can't be running the way he wants it to run. I mean, there's, there's so much pain and suffering in the world. When we look around, we say, why, why would God create the world to, to do that? Why would there be scarcity of resources? And, and why would people groups be at odds with each other? Why would God design it this way? The answer is he didn't design it this way. He designed it perfectly, sin, a spiritual disease, and a spiritual sickness took hold. And it runs rampant in each and every one of us. Every single time we find ourselves angry or bitter, upset with somebody, every time we lash out, every time we even think something, that isn't pure and holy and godly. We see sin in us. Not just in them, those people over there, it's in us. That was our confession this morning. It's, it's my weakness, it's my sin. I am the cause of almost all of my problems. Most of the time, all of my problems. On occasion, it's one of you. <laughs> Mostly it's me. <laughs> but that's my sin running rampant in my life. And it's in your life. And it's it's not something that, that you are able to defeat. It's not something that you are able to overcome. You need you need something more than you to do it. You need a king to come in and take on an enemy in your life, but it isn't that, that overbearing boss or that annoying relative or whoever it is that is the enemy you think it is, the economy, the jobs, the market, whatever. That's not the real enemy. The real enemy is sin. The real enemy in your life is spiritual. The real enemy in your life needs a warlord to come in and to defeat it, but it will be a spiritual battle, which is what Revelation is talking about. This unlikely hero of ours is unlikely not just because of that motif, which we are constantly copying. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to think for a second and go, I don't think Jesus copied Spider-Man. I'm guessing Spider-Man copied just based on the timeline right you don't have to you don't have to be brilliant to notice that this motif isn't just the unlikely weak hero coming in on a donkey it's more than that because humanity wants to diverge at the moment of the cross we want to stop and say, "This is the part of the story where he comes down off of the cross and he starts kicking butt and taking names, right? Jesus roundhouse kicks or something, right? This is the part of the story when he's on the cross and he's almost dead, and they think he's dead. That he somehow miraculously pulls it, or maybe his his disciples come rushing back in, and nope, he dies." He dies. And this is momentous because this isn't just some character in the story of God's narrative of how he works out. Jesus' death wouldn't be significant if he was just some guy, if he was just some person, some really good Israelite. Who cares? Lots of really good Israelites died. Lots of really good Israelites were unjustly killed and crucified. Lots of Jewish people have been unjustly, horribly persecuted and killed. Jesus was more than that. Jesus is more than that. And there's the key. What makes him the unlikely hero is that, yes, he is man, born but in, born in a specific, unique way of a virgin. Meaning there is a divine component in this. Meaning Jesus isn't just a really good teacher, really good man, really good disciple, really good follower, really knows his Bible, always in church on Sunday, knows all the words to all the prayers and all the hymns and all the songs. Jesus is God. Yes, he is Lord. Yes, he is King, but not of a kingdom of this world he is king of his divine kingdom which is only distant and separate from this world because of our sin We have an unlikely hero because God steps in and does a heroic thing for us. This sets Christianity apart from any other faith, religion, code of ethics, morality, or anything else. This is different. Christianity stands out as the only place where God says, I will rescue them. And I will step in. We're accustomed when we design something, when we design a faith, a religion, a code of ethics, morality, conduct, all of those things, we design it as we're the hero. We work hard. We become the best we can be. The most obedient, the most uh, prolific, kind, loving, generous. We become all of those things and we reach our God and we save ourselves by doing the right thing. (laughs) Turns out that doesn't get you anywhere in God's kingdom. It means nothing. It may mean a lot to your friends and your family when you're kind and generous and loving to them. So I encourage that. I'm not saying stop it. I'm saying that doesn't work for God. Is he pleased and happy? For sure. Absolutely, but that's not the problem. The problem isn't that you're not behaving well. The problem isn't just that your friend, your neighbor, someone in the community is hungry and needs to be fed. These are all of the physical, real enemies like the Romans and the, and the religious leaders. It's the spiritual problem that you have. Even though you are kind and loving and good to others, you still sin and you can't stop it not one of you is able to walk out of here today going well i'm done with sinning i am not going to be rude i'm not going to be arrogant or angry or short with anybody i'm not going to think anything negative somebody i'm not going to think any bad thoughts ever again by the time you get out of the parking lot you'd be a liar Right? You have a spiritual problem, and you need a king who wars against that spiritual problem. And his name is Jesus. And it's because he isn't just some fella who's a really good dude. It's because he is God. And he fights a spiritual battle. And that spiritual battle that he fights, he takes humbly. Quietly, painfully, submissively to death on the cross. That's not the story any of us would write. It's not the story of any other faith and religion because it's the story that God wrote. It's His narrative, it is His kingdom, and this is His battle. Which brings us to the last point in our sermon. <laughs> our own personal Armageddon. That's what this text is about. Our own personal Armageddon and each and every one of you has it. Let's really quick go to Ephesians chapter 6. Paul actually points this out plenty of places. Here's a good one. Finally, be strong in the Lord and strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be, e- may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we Do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You don't have an enemy on earth. Not a single person, event, circumstance. These are not your enemies. The enemy is a spiritual enemy. And yeah, there's forces Right? There, are, there are demons out there. There is a devil who would love to plunder God's people and, and take you away from him. Absolutely. But on a day-to-day basis, your spiritual battle is your sin. Your spiritual battle is this flaw that you have in you, and it surrounds you right? It's in your home. It's in your car. It's in your yard. It's at your work. It's whatever you do for fun, for leisure. You have sin around you all of the time. You are surrounded by this enemy, just like Jesus. As he rides in, surrounded by the enemies, Just as the the people he's come to rescue and to save from the spiritual forces, even though they're not seeing it, he's coming in, they see all these, he goes, I see your sin and how you're surrounded by it. And he (laughs) brings about Gog and Magog, Armageddon, if you will, right there amongst the people, just like he will for you. From Revelation, chapter 20, verse 9, they marched up over the broad plain of the earth. This is the evil forces symbolically pictured here in Revelation 20. And surrounded the camps of the saints. This is what's happening today in your life. Sin surrounding you, just as it was true in Jerusalem on that day, just as it is true today today, In the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. (laughs) The end. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! That's that's it. It it isn't an epic 20-minute battle scene from, from John Wick 4, which, by the way, I've heard is amazing. I haven't seen it yet, so no spoilers. But... That's the one thing I've heard is 20-minute battles, right? in the movie, where it goes back and forth, and there's swords and guns and fights, and blah blah, blah blah, blah blah. No, he just they around and then done. Just like that. That's the power of God in your life. That's the power of God for you experienced today. This huge battle with all of these enemies that are surrounded you have been vanquished. At least twice this morning. Dan forgave all of your sins at confession and absolution. You received the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. To die, you win. And you didn't do a thing. You didn't do a darn thing this morning to earn it, to work it, to have it, to grasp it, to fight for it. You just showed up and you got it. In fact, if you didn't show up, you'd still have it. It's given to us in baptism. It sticks with us. It's good for us, for our psyche, for our personalities, for our our faith, our conscience, to hear it every day. And on Sundays, to hear it proclaimed in front of all of these other people as witnesses, to receive it in the body and blood, to touch it and know, here is forgiveness that it's in me now. Here Here is life that I am consuming Because the the battle and the victory from the cross to the empty tomb to the ascension has been applied to you. What does that mean? It means the resurrection, it means a new heaven, but a new earth where these forces don't exist, where these battles don't even need to occur where not only do we not have enemies that surround us in a very literal and physical way, we don't have the spiritual enemy of sin. So there is no sadness, there is no mourning, there is no brokenness at the resurrection. Each and every one of us raised to new life, in new bodies, free from all of the things that we struggle with, free from a bad knee, a bad shoulder, and all kinds of mental health issues going on. I will be free free from from procedures and, and surgeries and bad backs, free from all of the things we struggle with right to the very end, free from those things, to be on this new earth, right? To see our loved ones, to give them a big old hug, to sit and talk and laugh and see all of those people that have gone before us in faith and all who will follow us the resurrection from the dead. This is what Christianity is all about. Our great hope, our great hope is not just dying and going to heaven. Our great hope is that he fixes and makes things new and he is king of the world the way it's supposed to be, the way he designed it, not like it is today but rather the way it was first designed for Adam and Eve, perfect, without sin, blemish, pain, suffering, sorrow, all of those things extinguished. And it begins as we commemorate it and celebrate it and remember it today with the most unlikely hero on a donkey riding into Jerusalem. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds In Christ Jesus, amen.